Hey, North Point, I'm so glad that you're here worshiping alongside us today. Before we get started, if you could pull out your phones and open the North Point app and just scroll down to the Let's Connect section. And go ahead and fill out that Connect card for us and let us know that you're worshiping with us today. If you don't yet have the North Point app, if you're it's your first time with us or you just haven't downloaded the app yet, you can text guest NCC to 94090. And that'll send you a link that opens you straight to the Connect card. And you can just fill that out and let us know that you're here alongside us worshiping. And then it will also give you an opportunity to download the North Point app. And you can go ahead and download that and then you'll know all the things that are happening at North Point. And we do have some cool things happening. Just this past weekend, we have opened up children's ministry. So whenever you are ready to join us in person, we would love to have you and your family here back with us. But in the meantime, let's go ahead and get started worshiping God together.
Let the goodness of God settle in our hearts as we continue on in worship through communion. If you did not grab the elements on your way in this morning, we have tables set up in the back where you can go ahead and grab one now. And if you have grabbed them, and if you're going to go grab them, you'll see that this is going to be a little different. We're not going to be passing trays like we normally do. So what you'll do when, when it's time for you to take communion is you're going to take the lid off the top, and underneath that little lid you're going to find the wafer, And then underneath that, you'll peel back the lid to take the juice when it's time. Okay? Capiche? All right. I want to just read through the account that we can find in Luke from the Last Supper. Um, Jesus and the disciples, they were preparing for the Passover meal. They were sitting, reclined at the table. And I imagine that they were all sitting around and gathered around each other and maybe laughing and talking and just enjoying enjoying a meal together. And Jesus said to them, I have desired eagerly to, <clears throat> I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying this is my body do this in remembrance of me 
And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays me. Now in none of the accounts of this moment in scripture do we find that the disciples ask Jesus questions like, what do you mean? Or anything. They didn't ask him any questions. But in Luke, it tells us they started to question among themselves which of them it might be who would betray Jesus. Like they were concerned. And then they started fighting amongst themselves who was the greatest. I have to think that after Jesus had died and the disciples were thinking of all the events from the previous three years up until that moment where they shared that last meal with Jesus, I have to wonder if they were thinking, how stupid were we not to take that time with Jesus to ask questions or to settle with him things that we needed to settle with him or to talk to him about things that are on our heart. And I wonder if they mourned, if they grieved. And so when they took that first communion, they fir- took that first, um, last, that, the communion, the elements, the next time that they did it together, I wonder if the significance was even greater. That when they took that bread and they took that wine, they understood what they were doing. And they understood the sacrifice that Jesus had made. So today when we take communion... What I want you to do is I want you to settle in your hearts anything that you have to settle with Jesus. If you have something that you need to talk to him about, do it. This is the perfect time. This is the perfect place. If you have a burden that you've been carrying or a sin that you need to confess, or if you have finally decided that this is the time that you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, I can't think of a more perfect time. So the band's going to play some music. We're going to just have some quiet time. And when you're ready, take the elements. When you're ready, settle those things with Jesus. And then when you're done, we'll settle back into um, worship. Thanks.
when the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Cause the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. Oh, my God will never fail. I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory.
a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Woo! Hi, come on. Give me a woo. Yeah. If you, if you listen to the... Oh my gosh, if you listen to the song and you sing those lyrics, I couldn't help but think this applies to COVID. Like, if you think about it, COVID, evil, yeah. But God has turned around. Look at you're all here on a Sunday. And those of you watching at home, you're watching, you're taking, you're you're part of the church online. And oh, give yourself a high five. I'm so excited. You should be excited too. Okay. Whew, this is the last time I'm gonna be up here, I can tell. So <laughs> Amen. (laughs) Hey, if you could do me a favor, take out your smartphone and go to the North Point app. And those of you at home, you want to do this too. Let us know that you're here. Go to the Let's Connect section and just let us know that you're here. We, We want to know that you're participating with us. Even if you're not here on campus, we want to know that you're still part of the North Point family. And if you're new, we really want to know that too, because we want to send you something, letting you know that we acknowledge that you're here, checking us out. We appreciate that. What an exciting time to be part of the body of Christ, I think. Um, so you'll want to go to the app where you can text nine, uh, you can text guest NCC to 94090 to let us know you're here. We have a few things going on here at North Point. One of them is something we've been mentioning for a while, which is the Global Leadership Summit. And the theme this year is is everyone has influence. Each one of you sitting here today has influence. Each one of you at home has influence. Whether it's at work or in your family or in your neighborhood, each one of you has influence. You know Jesus? You want others to know Jesus? That's one way that you can show your influence. Um, But also just other really cool things you'll learn at the summit. It's just a great, great event. So this is the last week that you can get that special only for North Pointers deal to go for $99. And I recommend that you take advantage of that. That offer ends on the 21st, so you're going to want to do that like today. Now would be fine. Another thing we have coming up is North Point 101, which begins next week. And North Point 101 is for, it's a safe place for you to come and just ask questions about North Point, um, about the staff or about the, the things that we do here. But you'll want to make sure to sign up for that. You can do that through the app or the website. Um, now, <laughs> we're going to lead into a, another part of worship, and that's giving. You can give safely and securely online through texting NCC give to 77977. If you didn't come prepared to give electronically today, there are boxes in the back of the auditorium. And we thank you in advance of, of your giving. That allows us to do some great things here in our community and around the world. We just thank you. We, one of the things that it pays for is the air conditioning that's in this room right now. Thank you. Thank you for that. So thank you for your giving. We had something really cool happen yesterday, and it's something really worth celebrating and praising God for. So take a look on screen. I grew up in a Catholic family, um, Portuguese Catholic. Actually, all the masses were done in Portuguese, and it was very ritualistic, lots of um, festivals, things like that. It wasn't an every Sunday thing. It wasn't in the household. It was just kind of like it was a almost a hobby like you you just it was part of what you had to do and you did it when your parents told you but not every Sunday and um, it was just a different environment 
I was going through a really difficult time in high school, family-wise, family, um, divorce, lots of complicated relationships, and um, lots of bouncing back and forth between my parents. And um, nothing was really felt solid. Nothing really felt like home. But there were certain things that uh, I did feel comfort in, and those were certain people that were surrounding me. And I started to recognize that all of those people seemed to have the same theme in their life, and that was God. And I started going to church more and more with them, and it was definitely during that time in college that I, I asked God into my life. I asked Him to be a part of my life, and I committed myself to Him. I let Him know that, you know, everything I have and everything I will have for the rest of my life is his. So after college, uh, I got married and had two children. And I think that just opens your eyes to a whole new world. It, it makes you realize that it's not just about you, you know, you, and I started to recognize that I wanted to be one of those people that I was drawn to. I wanted to be that for my family. As my children got older, I also went back to school and I became a nurse. I'm an ER nurse right now, and these are really interesting times. People are afraid. There's a lot of fear out there. And so this has kind of been a whole new ballgame for me. I know we're discussing fear right now, and I've been fighting that. I've been fighting, you know, how, how do I how do I do this? How do I go in? fearless <laughs> as they they keep preaching every Sunday but also how do I bring that to my patients and my family and um, bring some calm to them so that's really made me step deeper into my faith and um, it just so happens that about the time I joined the medical team here at church and Rick had mentioned that you know, with membership comes baptism and different things like that. And the more we talked about it and the more I recognized it as, you know, a symbol of recommitting and letting him know that I am his and I'm obedient and I'm listening. And then I went back to the all or nothing and I just thought, it's a sad place right now when really the only all is God in our life and the only nothing is without him and it just kind of clicked right then that you know I, I do need to publicly privately and wholeheartedly let him know that I am I, I'm in this all I'm all in and baptism just made so much sense everything about it I just want you to uh, to repeat what what um what Peter said when Jesus said who do people say I am and and Peter said I believe that you're the Christ I believe that you're the Christ the son of God the son of God and now I take you as my Lord and Savior and I take you as my Lord and Savior um, Wendy because of your confession you're being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins for the gift of the Holy Spirit Party.
that's a pretty good way to start the day, isn't it? Um, so jazzed about Wendy's decision. If that's a decision that you're contemplating, if uh, maybe you've never taken that step of being immersed and uh, you'd like to do that, man, call us. Call the office, send us an email, uh, put a note in the app. We would love to talk to you about that because it's such, uh, such a clear way that we can say, God, I'm, I am all in with you no matter what. Are you tired about talking about, are you tired of talking about COVID? Me too. Me too. Uh, the problem is that we can't escape it though, right? Every day something, we hear something new. There's a, there's a new treatment available. There's a new outbreak. There's a new this or that. New executive order. Uh, you know, whatever it is. And so it, it is this thing that we are living with. As much as we'd like to, we can't really get away from it. Um, we were talking about that as a staff and, and just how we respond in this particular time. And uh, we came up with a phrase that, that as a staff we wanted to kind of capture and, and grab a hold of. It, it, it was COVID can't, right? COVID can't steal my joy. COVID can't break my relationship with Jesus. COVID can't, uh, it can't control my life. It can't control the way I interact with other people. COVID can't even uh, stop the church, right? Even when we didn't meet, the church was still the church. When we weren't gathering here, we were still the church. COVID can't. COVID can't even kill me, right? It may physically take my life, but all it's going to do is shorten the time until I see Jesus, right? So COVID can't. So we had these t-shirts made that say, COVID can't. Hashtag COVID can't. So, anybody want a t-shirt? <laughs> Woo! Hey! We have more... Oh! Oh! oh ouch! None for you, Zampaloni! <laughs> They said, <laughs> oh, almost made it back to you, Brandon. Uh, they said, do we have a t-shirt cannon? I said, these are the, uh, yeah, yeah. Hey, if you're interested, we have like uh, 150 of those or whatever out at the hub after service. Uh, if you didn't catch one, you have to buy one. Sorry about that. Uh, if you got the wrong size, you can exchange it back there. That's, that's cool as well. Um, now I'm exhausted from throwing those out there. Four months ago, four months ago, uh, which is like 10 years in COVID time, right? Uh, we, we were in a series called Unscripted that was all about prayer. It was all about how to pray. And in that, in that series, we had a message that, that came from the same passage that we're going to talk about today. It was about what to do when the government says, uh, when the government defines how you can pray, how you can't pray, who you can pray to, all that kind of stuff. From Daniel chapter 6. In this series from Daniel, we had some options. We said, oh, okay, what do we do? Do we just skip this passage? Because we just preached about it 12 weeks ago. And I said, no, you know what? I, I think that there's something really powerful in looking at that passage again with a different lens and to just look at it from this, this lens of being fearless and faithful. Daniel being fearless and faithful. So we're, we're going to uh, Daniel chapter 6. That's where we're going to uh, be this morning. If you got your Bibles, if you got your app, you want to take that out, take a look at it, that would be great. Daniel's a Jewish man 
who was born and raised in Jerusalem when he's a young teenager, probably 15 years old. He, uh, uh, Jerusalem is conquered by Babylon in 605 BC. Daniel and some of his buddies are taken out of Jerusalem and transported to the city of Babylon where they go into this training program to become advisors to the king. Daniel ultimately is uh, blessed by God. God works through him, and, uh, and he's able to interpret dreams. He's able to do all kinds of stuff. God uses him, and he serves at least three different kings, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and uh, who we'll read about today, Darius. Daniel's in his 80s as we come into Daniel chapter 6. He's lived almost his entire life in a foreign land. There's a new government that uh, has uh, taken place at this point in time. It's no longer Babylon. The Medo-Persian Empire has conquered Babylon in 539 B.C. Again, Daniel's uh, somewhere in his 80s. And so there's, there's this new crew in town when we begin to read uh, Daniel chapter 6. If, you, if you've got your Bibles and can, can scan back, you'll see um, Belshazzar, at, at the end of Chris, Chris's message last week, Belshazzar sees the writing on the wall. Daniel interprets it, interprets it and says, uh, you've been weighed and found wanting. Uh, Daniel gets blessing that, Darius, or that Belshazzar promised, and that night... Um, Belshazzar is killed. The Persians come in. They take control. This is how Daniel 6, uh, verse 1 begins. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps, rulers, to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the entire kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel and his conduct of the government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. Don't miss this. There's a new government in place. The, the Medes and Persians have taken over Babylon, and everyone in this new government is trying to position themselves to get more power, to be in the place that they can raise, they can have control, they can have power. And there's this guy, Daniel, that, that the king, that Darius, really likes because of his honesty. And they're trying to figure out what they can do, how they can um, maneuver politically to get this guy out. Um, they're, they're looking for dirt on him, but he is as clean as a whistle. He's, he, everything he does, he does with character and integrity. He's faithful to the king. He doesn't make any side deals. He doesn't embezzle. The only thing that they can find is that Daniel is a fanatic about serving his God. Verse 6, so these administrators and satraps went as a group to the king and said, may King Darius live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or human being during the next 30 days, except to you, your majesty, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, your majesty, issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be repealed. So King Darius put the decree in writing. 
At this point, you would think that Daniel, being one of those administrators who knows he's being railroaded, who knows what's going on, that he's going to be shaking in his boots, right? That he's scared, that he sees uh, now the writing on his wall, that everything's going to come crashing down. And that he's, you would think that Daniel's going to be afraid, that he is going to be very afraid. But what's he do? If he, if he, if he doesn't stop praying to God, he's going to end up being fed to the lions. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the, window, where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day, he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. What's Daniel do? Does he rationalize his behavior? Does he think, man, there's got to be some other way can have a relationship with God and not disobey this law? No. Does he cower in fear and just kind of quiver, go in his room and, and curl up in a ball, go fetal? No. Does he accommodate to the circumstances and stop praying? No. Daniel doesn't change anything. He just keeps on doing what he's been doing all along. Ever since the time that he was taken from Jerusalem as a a 15-year-old kid, 65 years earlier, Daniel just maintains his pattern. He goes home, window towards Jerusalem, prays three times a day in public. Uh, He continues to worship. He continues to pray. He continues to serve Darius, even though it's clear that there's a plot to get him. The minions go to King Darius. They tattle on Daniel like little boys. And it wrecks the king's world because the king loves Daniel. He trusts Daniel. He was ready to make Daniel the, the number two guy in all of the kingdom. Darius ends up spending the entire night uh, up trying to find some kind of loophole, loophole, some kind of way he can keep from executing Daniel, but there isn't one. Verse 16. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the ring rings of his nobles, so that Daniel's situation might not be changed. Verse 19. At the first dawn of light, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he came near the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel, and he shut the mouths of the lions. They have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to lift Daniel out of the den. And when Daniel was lifted from the den, no wound was found on him because he had trusted in God. As model sinks to sidle in Fiddler on the Roof, wonder of wonder, miracle of miracles. Uh, God took a Daniel once again, wonder of wonder, miracle of miracles, walked him through the lion's den. There's this sense of just incredible blessing of God that happens. A miracle from God. Daniel is protected. Well, we're looking at the, at this 
this event through the lens of Daniel, through his um, fearlessness and faithfulness, make no mistake about what Daniel 6 is, Daniel 6 is about. It's about the power of God, right? It is about who God is. God wasn't showing off in this moment. He was just doing what God does. He was just, he was just living out his character. He was showing his power. He had the power to give Daniel the ability to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream. He had the power to, to have a disembodied hand right on the wall for Belshazzar. He had the power to take three guys who were thrown into a fiery furnace, so hot that the, that the guys who threw them in died from the heat, and sustain them and walk them out. Make no mistake about it, in this moment in time, God is supreme. God has the power to do anything at any time. Nothing can withstand him. God rules the universe. That's so critical to this concept of living a fearless life at this point in time when we understand that God is who he said he is and that he never fails. Darius got it. Look at verse 25. King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in all the earth. May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. You know, when you read the book of Daniel, uh, it's, it's been fun uh, studying through this series. I, don't, I, I hope that you've read through the book of Daniel, that you've kind of tracked all these messages. Because it wasn't just Darius who got it, who understood who God was in the book of Daniel. There, in, in, this, in this pagan kingdom, every time God acts... The king gets it. The king understands. In chapter 2, after Daniel had supernaturally described and interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, Nebuchadnezzar says to Daniel, Daniel 2.47, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. After God had saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego out of the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. After God had restored Nebuchadnezzar's sanity, after he had been out in the pasture like an, living like an animal and restored him to power, um, Nebuchadnezzar says his words, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right. And all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. 
What's it take for us to live fearless and faithful, to recognize that God is who he said he is, like Nebuchadnezzar, like Belshazzar, like Darius did? What's it take to be fearless and faithful like Daniel? I I think the answer to that um, for today in in this passage is that the first thing is just a clear why. Understanding why we're here, understanding who we are, understand why we have been created. You have to know why you believe what you believe about God for it to transform your life, for it to allow you to be fearless. You have to know why you believe what you believe about Jesus. Without knowing why, it's simply a, a worldview one choice of many. It's a, it's a, it's a moral, uh, framework from which to live your life, but it will not sustain you in times of tragedy, in times of crisis, in times of fear. Without knowing why, it's just head knowledge. But when you know why, it impacts your heart. A few weeks ago, I, I, uh, finished the book, uh, by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. It's a book about uh, about influence, about um, companies that that uh, that are great companies because the the why of their business permeates everything that they do. What is it that makes Chick Fil A chicken sandwiches so much better than chick, chicken sandwiches from uh, McDonald's or Wendy's or uh, Burger King, whatever? It's because it's because at Chick Fil A, the why of they do business um, permeates everything that they do. They do chicken sandwiches. But that's not why they exist. They exist to make customers king in every way that they can. That's why they say, it's my pleasure to take care of you today. What is it that makes um, Southwest Airlines so much more fun to fly on than Delta or United or American? It's because they understand why they exist as a business. And that gets communicated out to everyone who works for them. Um, If you want to live a life that's fearless, if you want to live a life of faithfulness as a follower of Jesus, you have to know why you're alive. You have to understand that your story doesn't start with you. It starts with God. You have to be consumed with understanding that death is not your enemy, but it's our entrance into an eternity in God's presence, in relationship with him, with a God who loves us far more than we love ourselves, with a God who, who places value on us that we don't even understand or comprehend. Daniel got it. He knew his why. He knew his life wasn't defined by whether he was surrounded by his friends or family. Daniel knew that his life wasn't measured by whether he lived in Jerusalem or whether he lived in Babylon. Daniel knew that the value of his life was not greater when he lived in the palace than it would have been had he lived out in the countryside. The reason why Daniel was created was to be in relationship with the God of the universe. Everything else, his safety, his security, his position, his power, life, death, so paled in comparison that it didn't even show up on Daniel's radar. Why did, why did he just continue to pray? Because he understood why he had been made to be in relationship with God. If you want to live a fearless and faithful life, you, you have to know why, but you also have to, have to live with a consistent character. 
I think that there's an unmistakable link between Daniel's character and his fearlessness entering the lion's den. For 65 years, Daniel had been serving um, at least three different kings in the nation of Babylon. Kings who regularly executed people who disobeyed them, who crossed their paths, who uh, were disloyal, who were untrustworthy. Daniel was rock solid in his honesty, rock solid in his work ethic, rock solid with his loyalty with each of those kings. And when the new, when the new regime comes in and wants to take him out, the only thing that they can do is attack his relationship with God. So they create this, this scenario that says you can't pray to anybody except to the king, knowing that Daniel will ha- be put in a position where he, he has to either betray his relationship with God or his relationship with the king. What's Daniel do? He just keeps right on praying, right? He does what he's always done, facing Jerusalem with the windows open in the middle of the day, three times a day, uh, for the whole world to see, not to draw attention to himself, not to be holier than thou, but as the scripture says, just as he had done before. Daniel just keeps living the way that he had always lived. What's it, what's it take to be faith, uh, fearless and faithful in your life today? It's to be consistent in your relationship with Jesus, day in and day out, right now, in the here and now. Uh, one, one of the worst charges, I think, against Christians in our cultures, in, in our culture, is that Christians are all hypocrites, right? We, we all hear that all the time. The word hypocrisy comes from the Greek language, and it's, it's actually two separate words that are put together that, that, uh, what the word describes is, um, play acting. It's, a, it's a person who has, uh, another, um, uh, definition of it is the inability to sift or, or to understand. There, there's this sense that a hypocrite in, in the Greek, uh, in the original wording of the, the language was this person who was inconsistent, who, who, uh, who their, their life didn't match what they said and believed. Uh, it was a persona kind of thing. They didn't have the ability to look at all of life and live consistently. Um, what's a hypocrite? It's somebody who's unsure about how they're going to live their life. They may be one way with one group of people, a different way with a different group of people. They lack the character and the courage to be consistent day in and day out, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's there's another Greek word that parallels this same idea. It's the word sincere. It's also a combination of two different Greek words, sine and sera. Um, sine means without, and, and sera is wax. And it, it comes from this, this concept that in uh, the Greek culture, there were, there were sculptors that would create things, create sculptors, and if they made a mistake or if there was a flaw in the marble, they would fill that flaw or fill that, their mistake with wax. They would then display the, the statue and uh, have people buy it, and it would look perfect on the outside. But when they brought it home and it got hot, or they set it in the sun, the wax would melt and the imperfections would be exposed. Great sculptors would put on their sculptures, sine sera, without wax. What you see is what you get. It's consistent. It's going to be there all the time. Here, here's, the, here's the crazy thing, I think. I, I, don't, 
not that I have a lot of statues around, but I wouldn't mind owning a statue that had imperfections in it. I, I don't mind having friends with imperfections in them. I have imperfections, right? The difference is I don't want a statue that looks like one thing and is actually something different. I don't want friends. I, I don't want to be a person that communicates one thing and lives a completely different way. Sine Sarah. That, that we've got to live consistently, not as hypocrites, but sincere. First Timothy says the goal of Paul's in, uh, instruction to Timothy uh, would come from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith, a faith without wax. You can't be, you can't be fearless if you're playing a game. You can't be fearless if you can't sift or decide how you're going to act in any given moment. It's only when you know who you are, when you know what you believe, when you know what you stand for and are consistently living that out, that you can live a fearless life. Daniel was a real deal. He was consistent in his character. He was fearless and faithful. Um, one last thought about what it takes to be fearless and faithful. It demands a confidence in God, regardless of our circumstances. When we know that God is who he said he is, that his power is greater than any power in the universe, that he knows us, and loves us, it allows us to look at him instead of our circumstances. If Daniel had focused on the threat of the lions, he would have been paralyzed. Um, when he was taken to what appeared to be certain death, he would have, he, uh, it would have made perfect sense for him to cower in fear and, just, and, and blubber and do anything he could to keep from being thrown into the lion's den. But Daniel didn't focus on the lions. He focused on the one who made the lions. Daniel didn't focus on the peril. He focused on the promise. Daniel didn't focus on the risk. He focused on the reward that was coming from God. Does that mean as followers of Jesus that we should just uh, throw, uh, ignore risk and throw it all away, not, not pay any attention to the risk of COVID or anything like that? It doesn't mean that at all. In, in, our, in our current circumstances, we need to understand the risk of the virus. We need to use wisdom as we respond to that threat. Just because we're disciples of Jesus doesn't mean that we should go to somebody that we know is symptomatic and let them cough in our face. That would be silly, right? That doesn't make any sense. Reminds me of the story of John Sedgwick, who was a major general in the Civil War. He, uh, he was a major general for the, for the uh, Union Army at the Battle of Spotsylvania on, in May of 1864. He was positioned with his officers at the rear of the conflict that was going on. And uh, he said to one of his fellow officers about the rebel soldiers, they couldn't hit an elephant at this distance, which were the last words he spoke before he was shot by a rebel sniper. We have to be aware of the risk that's involved around us, right? And respond to that with wisdom. The risk that we face today is real. But we need to see our circumstances in the greater context of God's presence. We need to look at our circumstances in the shadow of God, not look for God in the shadow of our circumstances. 
I've got to believe that Daniel had the words of David on his mind as he went to the lion's den. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I've got to believe that Daniel had the words of Isaiah, who, um, who had been prophesying when he was a young boy in Jerusalem. When Isaiah said, on behalf of God, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by my name. You are mine. How did Daniel live a fearless and faithful life? He knew the answer to the question of why he was alive. He got that deep within him. He lived with a consistent character before the crisis ever came. And he had a confidence in God, not in his circumstances. 25 years ago, a song was released by a couple of theologians that I want to close with this morning. The theologians were a little obscure. They were a rotund and reddish guy named Bob and a tall green character named Larry. What did they write? God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's, greater, he's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV. God is bigger the, than the boogeyman, and he's watching out for you and me. So are you frightened? No, not really. Are you worried? Not a bit. I know whatever's going to happen, that God can handle it. God is bigger than the boogeyman. Simplistic? Maybe. Juvenile? Perhaps. But filled with truth? Absolutely. COVID can't fill us with fear. COVID can't steal our purpose. COVID can't drive us from God. COVID can't. So live fearless and faithful. Let's pray. Father God, I, I, I thank you. For the example of Daniel, for the truth of his life, for his consistency in his walk with you, and the challenge that that is for us today. God, we don't want to be afraid. We don't want to cower. We don't want our lives to be turned upside down by the threat of the stuff around us. We want to walk with you knowing that you hold us in your hand. God, help us to see with your eyes. Help us to follow with our whole hearts. Help us to grasp how high and deep and strong and wide your love is for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.